Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders podcast. Today on my show, Erin Jewell, a fantastic personality, a driven, successful, high-achieving woman with a huge heart. Erin is a Thrive Global Top 10 coach of 2021. She's an executive mindset and performance growth coach, an international speaker and a professor of leadership at Villanova University. She has over 20 years of leadership experience in the healthcare sector at Fortune 500 companies like Pfizer. I'm sure you have heard that name um, recently, very frequently, Boston Scientific and Medtronic. And she was also the founder of her own healthcare startup. One topic we're going to talk about today, how not just she led that startup, but also how she actually sold that startup, how she made some very tricky decisions here, what challenges she experienced, how she dealt with it. She used to be a global director and Erin as such was responsible for 80 million in revenue and managed 200 direct and indirect reports. And Erin and I very openly talked about that we didn't always feel in our management roles as the greatest leaders. And we have learned in hindsight quite a lot about what we would do differently if we were to be in the same leadership roles, why we weren't necessarily the best leaders or quite a few things we had in common and we discussed. But 200 direct and indirect reports, that's a big, big team, right? We are also going to talk about how Erin experienced her career, what her challenges were as a female leader as well, but also what are the challenges her clients mainly female kind of approach her with? What do they share? What are the trends in our working life? So very interesting topics and especially what kind of challenges did the pandemic bring and how can we refocus and make sure that we overcome those challenges quicker. Along the way of her career, Erin developed multiple strategies on how to optimize team performance. And as a coach, she is very passionate about empowering leaders to get the most out of themselves, but also out of their team so they can achieve the results they truly not only want, but they also deserve. So a wonderful person to meet. I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy this episode very, very much. Looking forward to hearing about all your feedback and I speak to you again in a moment. So hi, Erin. So good to see you again. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Kathleen. I'm so grateful for this time with you. Looking forward to the conversation. 
Oh, yes, me too. And just for the audience, you know, sometimes you meet people and you have an immediate connection. And I think that's something I at least can say I had with Erin. Loads of similarities, very similar experiences in the past, interests, passions. So I'm truly excited about creating an, an, a very engaging episode here. No pressure, Erin, obviously. <laughs> None, none felt, Kathleen. I feel the same way. Our paths have a lot of overlap. We are soul sisters, indeed. So indeed. this is great. Erin, yeah. you actually need to share something with the audience because we were just chatting away about warrior's breathing mm-hmm. that you just did before you came on this show. So tell us a little bit more about what you did there. Right. So I was sharing that just before this, I had a, what I call a mind body session with some of my clients. It's part of the work I do as a coach, as a coach who focuses on mindfulness and mindful leadership. And so the breath is a really powerful tool for grounding and centering practices. You know, there are many different things that we can do to feel grounded and centered and practicing with some type of breathing technique is one of those ways. So what I was sharing with my clients is a modified version of something called the warrior's breath. And it involves making audible inhales with the nose involving the chest, not the belly, and basically a series of inhalations and exhalations in and out through the nose in order to reset, to re-energize, to bring extra oxygen into the body, which can also do things like kill bacteria. So if you have the onset of any symptoms of a cold or anything like that, you can actually use this type of breathing to kind of blast out some of that, uh, some of the the non-supportive elements. So, yeah. Here's the first top tip of this episode right at the start and more to come, obviously. So Erin, you already mentioned you work as a coach, but not just as any coach. Tell us a little bit more about how you serve your clients so wonderfully. Oh, thank you. So I'm an executive mindset and growth coach, and I do focus primarily on uh, female leaders in healthcare. That being said, I work with all humans and women, all different kinds of personalities and walks of life. And what I really care about is I care about a client who has an appetite for well-being. I care about the, what I like to call total leader. So it is the leader who is uh, achieving a certain level of financial success, career, professional success. And they also equate their well-being as part of that success that they're experiencing. So this individual may not necessarily have well-being ticked off as something they feel like they thrive in. However, they have an appetite for learning about how to continue to translate their desire to prioritize well-being in a professional and relatable way. So I, I offer traditional coaching. So I'm certified with the International Coaching Federation. And so I I offer a traditional coaching pathway and I include my background and experience in the mindfulness arena, as well as my certifications in the mindfulness sector as part of the work I do. Here we go. And who can call themselves a Thrive Global Top 10 coach that you became in 2021? Well, I mean, 
So here's the thing. First of all, I'm grateful to have received that recognition because I do consider myself to be part of a much bigger community of really phenomenal, amazing coaches. And what that recognition, from my perspective, what that recognition does is it gives all of us as coaches an opportunity to to be rewarded for the work that we're doing. So I was in a category with a lot of people that have a lot of resources, a lot more than I have, you know, Tony Robbins is in that category. I, you know, he's one of my mentors, you know, so for me, what is said to me was that we can all and should all be recognized throughout our coaching communities for doing the work we do. Now, in my case, because of the work that I've done, particularly with women, and because of the work I am doing, in particular, the mindful and mindfulness sector, it afforded me an opportunity to be included on that list. I'm absolutely loving it, in particular, as it has been quite a challenging year. And um, a lot of the coaches I know, I speak to, they say, oh, my God, it was really tough for me to actually remain in business. And here we go, Thrive Global Top 10 Coach right in front of us. And we want to learn a little bit more about how do you really help these women? Because you have some amazing success stories. How do the women approach you? What stage in their life are they? What do they struggle with? And then what's the journey going to be like to achieve their very individual goals, really? Absolutely. So as a coach, my approach, my desire this is just my personal practice, is to work with humans who want to enter into a coaching partnership. I very much view coaching as a partnership. It's a journey. So my interest is working with humans who want to work with me, not humans who need to work with me. So in the case of the women that I've worked with, they tend to be high achieving, high performing leaders in a variety of sectors. I work with lawyers. I work with leaders in the life sciences sector. I work with leaders in the real estate, commercial real estate development sector. I've worked with leadership teams in those sectors. And so generally speaking, it is someone who has a high level of self-awareness and also a desire to continue to show up as the best version of themselves which at this point in their career includes the opportunity to pursue well-being from a more focused perspective. So they may come to me not ever having practiced meditation, or they may come to me as really excellent technical experts, but they are still seeing gaps in their ability to lead teams effectively. What is important too, though, about the journey, the coaching journey is that the individuals in particular, the women who are coming to me to work together are not feeling like there's something to be fixed. And this has been an evolution in my own personal journey as a coach with women in particular, there's a book called uh, patriarchy stress disorder, which I read as part of my research for the work I do. And Dr. Valerie Ryan, who, who writes the book shares, you know, women have kind of this, tendency, and this is a complete generalization. I know women who agree with the statement and I know women who do not agree with the statement. And that goes for everything I say. There are women that believe that there's something wrong with them and that there's always something wrong with them. So if all is not well in their world, they tend to make it about themselves somehow. They tend to make it 
because of something they are not doing enough of. And all the way through to the fertility journey. If you look at the, at least in the US healthcare system, the, the system is set up in such a way that it really focuses on the nature or the cause of what the woman is experiencing as opposed to the man. Mm. And as you can imagine, this can be debilitating not only for the level of confidence for a woman, but it can actually also lead to suboptimal outcomes when it comes to organizational goals or even the goals during a fertility journey. So with that being said, it's also very important for the client as they're coming was as we're coming together, understand that they are whole, complete, and healed. There's nothing to fix. And any choices they make throughout the coaching journey with me are choices they are making, not because they have to, or because they need to, but because they want to. So tell me about the success stories then. They want to come to you, therefore they approach you. They want to change something without being fixed so what's happening then? How do they in the end leave you? What are the differences you see? So generally, it's it's so fascinating. Everybody's a little bit different, but it's generally around the area of things like executive presence, which when you look up the definition of executive presence, it, it's pretty comprehensive, but it includes things like confidence. It includes things like presentation skills. It includes things like nonverbal communication. So actually the impact that somebody has through nonverbal communication is far more than the impact a leader will have with verbal communication. Mm -hmm. But a lot of leadership development programs are really missing the mark Mm -hmm. with how to further cultivate the skills that impact nonverbal communication. A lot of the women I work with end up finding themselves in a place of, of greater clarity and greater grace, I like to, is the word that I like to use. So navigating through various challenges with more grace, they experience, and grace meaning a sense of peace mm-hmm. and a sense of calm. Mm-hmm. So less likely to make everything theirs, yeah. but by the time we're done working together, far less likely. So we're maybe coming into it, they felt responsible for everyone in the workplace, everyone in their family, everyone in their friendship circles. By the time we're done working together, they've set these healthy boundaries in their lives, very open-hearted ones, not closed-hearted ones. People around them are doing the same thing. They have a lot more energy. They have a lot more mind real estate to allocate to things they care about. They find themselves on more of a schedule, more of a practice of self-care I would say the biggest change though, and I've kind of already spoken to it, the biggest change is that they don't feel like everything is theirs. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, all of a sudden they're able to talk about various situations and various events happening at work and even at home without feeling like they have to be the rescuer. And this is very much a characteristic of a lot of the high achievers and high performers that I work with when things are a little out of balance. Mm -hmm. So after the work's been done, that seems to align much better within them where it becomes more highlighted as a strength in a healthy way. That is something that really resonates with me when I hear they don't, or or I would even say we step away from seeing ourselves as the rescuer. We need to solve all the issues. We need to bring in empathy. We need to bring in understanding, but we are kind of missing out on ourselves here and actually show this understanding, this empathy towards ourselves. 
And you mentioned a few very, very important points. And you started off talking about how the executive presence may change, their confidence, the way they present. And I'm curious to understand how a focus on their own well-being or our own well-being shifts exactly those areas as you just described. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So what it does is it takes us away from totally external focus where we kind of find ourselves being pulled in a lot of different directions throughout each day. And as you can tell, when I'm saying we, I'm referring to me because part of my personal journey inspired the work I've been doing for the last, you know, almost 10 years now in this space. And so what tends to happen is when we're less focused on our well-being, we disassociate from our emotional and mental state. And when we're feeling disassociated from our emotional, mental, and mental state, our ability to discern what is mine and what is not becomes very clouded. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves kind of at the mercy of, or in this very reactionary place where we're just running from one event to the next each day, reacting to the emotions and the needs of others. Yeah. But when we become more connected to self and we become more, we, we make a choice to observe ourselves more, which is inevitable when you start practicing more gestures of self-support and well-being, then we become more tied in with how we're feeling, how we're showing up, what works for us, what doesn't work for us. And therefore, it becomes more clear what is ours and what is not ours in the external environment. And when we spoke for the first time, we also started speaking a little bit about the differences between the female traits as leaders and the male ones. So where do you see some very obvious differences? And the second part of the question is probably, and how can we bring them nicely together Yeah, it's a great point. And so, and when we talk about female and male, you know, the English language can feel a bit limited with this because mm -hmm. although there are tendencies that show up with those who identify as male or female, that can sometimes be based on the nature of the environment they were raised in. Mm -hmm. However, there also are some physiological and scientific reasons for different traits and how they are showing up. So men and women both have all of these traits inside of them. Yeah. But what tends to happen is someone who identifies as male might identify more with things like being outward, protector, provider, initiator, activator, more of kind of what the hormone testosterone is known to kind of produce, right? So somebody who identifies as being female, higher levels of things like estrogen and progesterone, which by the way, create a lot of energy, may have an increased capacity to hold relational field, which requires a, this, a skill of listening that's not basic. It's actually quite comprehensive mm -hmm. and very holistic. I call it holistic listening, where somebody is really fully present for the individual in a way that they have no real agenda mm -hmm. and they're, they're there to just experience the other human. There's an art of receiving and allowing in that you also have in some of these tendencies or characteristics that tend to be more female oriented are things, like I said, receiving, allowing also stillness. So during times of confusion or during times of transition, choosing not to act and instead choosing to pause mm -hmm. 
And so the, the famous saying, when you don't know what to do, do nothing at all. Those with those characteristics more fully developed are in a place to do that. They, they tend to be more intentional. There tends to be more of an intentionality about the process. There tends to be more of an appreciation for communication, conversations for understanding, things like that. So, you know, sometimes I refer to it as yin and yang. Sometimes I refer to it as masculine and feminine. Um, there are still many, many, many individuals around the globe who identify as kind of one or the other. Mm -hmm. And the challenges that certain women have faced, you know, and I, I'm not going to, I'm going to speak to what I've experienced in and what I've observed, but the challenges that certain women face along the way is a lot of the corporate sector in particular in the U S culture and any other cultures that def define themselves as being more patriarchal, more paternal, more hierarchical have a tendency toward this, this kind of initiation activation, the most dominating personality wins type of approach. Like yeah. somebody who's being recognized and asked to share their experience in organizations is generally somebody who's ready to interrupt, isn't really listening, is pushing their own agenda, things like that. So a lot of women who rise up the ranks in leadership, a lot of their mentors and role models are actually men who may have tendencies towards these types of characteristics. So the risk to that is that women kind of grow up in the corporate sector, not fully developing some of their other characteristics and men grow up in the corporate sector, not more fully developing some of theirs. Mm -hmm. And when you are then in a culture where this is being idealized and uh, this is kind of the role model that you have to adhere to, then this is going to become a challenge in terms of, okay, who am I really? Uh, or does the culture match me, my style, my way of being? Or do I need to play more of a role? All of these additional confusions may occur as a result of that. And I appreciate that's definitely not the case in all organizations. So I don't want to generalize here, but the example that you've just provided can definitely present a risk to that, to that role confusion. Yeah, there's there's a model called Jahari's window mm -hmm. and it's four quadrants, right? And you've got, you know, I know what I know. I, I know what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know, right? And, and, and it's from the perspective of self and somebody else. And as coaches, yeah. we use this a lot because it's a process we go through with our clients. And I believe this very much to be the case around this topic. We have organizations who know that they are, what's the word, uh, sort of myopic with their approach, right? So it's antiquated, it's outdated. Maybe it's called an old boys club, very old established way. That's not really working anymore. Almost a, that hierarchical patriarchal style. Then you have companies that see that they're doing it and recognize there's a need for change. Mm -hmm. Then you have companies that are doing it and they're not aware that they're doing it. And I think this category is actually growing right now because nobody wants to be known as that anymore. Like once upon a time, there was a certain prestige associated with that. Like I actually remember going to a prestigious club in London not that long ago where there was a different stairwell for the women, right? Mm -hmm. It was like the women went up a different stairwell and I made it a point to get a picture on the main stairwell where only the men were allowed to go up. And, you know, and that's one of, you know, I have a client here in the US who recently shared, she's the only female executive on her team in her company and they continue, people leave the meeting and email her after asking for, the notes from the meeting. No way. Like when nobody, 
like when she never offered that, you know, so like, so you've got these companies right now. And I think this category, like I said, is growing where you have, they don't know that they're doing it. And so they don't feel like there's anything to work on or they're not acknowledging that they're doing it. And they might even be saying they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have people in the organization saying, oh, we don't, you might even have women in the organization saying, oh no, that's not happening to us. But if you haven't been on the other side of it, how can you possibly even know if you're doing it? Right. Mm -hmm. And then we have those companies in the last quadrant who are doing it and are trying to make the change. Maybe I already said that, but So the one I'm most fascinated about, as you can probably tell, is that group of organizations that are doing it and aren't aware that they're doing it. I think those are probably going to be cultures that suffer the most during the next 10 to 15 years. And I'm curious now about the example that you have given in particular of the female executive that receives those messages afterwards. Do you know how she spoke up about and stood up for herself if she did so. Yeah. You know, it's a good, there were some one-on-one, there were some one-off conversations, but you know, when you're the minority, it's very challenging to sort of take a stand and make a point when these things happen. It's of course what people like you and I want to see, right? We want to see, these things kind of like the kibosh put on these things. I think something that that might be helpful and important here, because whenever we're coming from a place of judgment, things aren't going to end well, no matter what. And even though it's hard not to feel judgmental sometimes when we hear examples like these, at the end of the day, we have an opportunity, and this is going to be another plug of mine because this is the work that I do, advocacy through inquiry. You know, I believe that there is an opportunity for humans to learn a little bit more about how to advocate for what's important to them, what's meaningful to them through a place of questioning Mm -hmm. and not interrogation, Mm -hmm. but questioning. So for example, in those moments when that person, that woman was receiving emails, Hey, did you grab the notes from the meeting? A response of, can you please help me understand why you thought I might have been the one keeping the minutes for the meeting? But by the way, I have to say this because, and this has been one of the most challenging parts, I'm going to be completely honest with you, of the work I've been doing, especially over the last several months, we've got to be conscious of the assumptions we're making. Mm -hmm. We've got to be conscious of the assumptions we're making because I'll share an example with you. I've been sharing this example, um, if, if if you'll allow. So there was a conversation I was involved with and a man made a recommendation to me about a book. And the book was Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. I think it's a a Steve Harvey book. And I found that recommendation to be a terrible idea, Mm -hmm. quite frankly, Mm -hmm. straight up, terrible idea. You know, it's like, I mean, how many other things can you equate that to? Okay, so you're telling me I should act like a lady, but think like a man. So what is that telling you about how ladies think? And this, by the way, was following a few minutes of of uh, a conversation about how he has been able to mentor and guide women to think more practically in their lives. Like, and listen, the intention of this human was harmless. Mm -hmm. It was not malicious. And how do I know that? Because, well, I don't really know him, but I know the people that he knows. And from what I gather, I can tell that he was coming from a good place. So it led to a challenging interaction because I responded with, I'm not going to take that book recommendation. And I also let him know that his feedback to me felt very patriarchal and very paternal. And it was how I felt. It reminded me of my father telling me that, you know, I wasn't thinking practically and that I needed to, you know, be smarter about something. Right. 
But in that moment, rather than saying what I said, and I love using myself as an example here because I'm learning just like everybody else. Mm, We're having conversations we've never had before. Let's be honest. And in that moment, what I could have done differently is rather than assume that he was making a sexist comment, rather than assume that he was taking on this father figure role, because that's the role he's used to playing with women in his life. Yeah. I could have instead simply asked the question and said, can you help me understand why you made that book recommendation? Mm -hmm. And can you help me understand why you are, you know, making these recommendations and sharing these stories with me about Mm -hmm. how you've guided and mentored women over the years? Mm. And had I done that, listen, there's a really good chance that his response would have further fueled what I was thinking. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. That's a possibility. Absolutely. That that would have, you know, (laughs) perhaps put me even further on the defensive or, it's quite possible that he would have said something so surprising and so beautiful and so eloquent that would have completely disarmed me. And I would have, I would have at that point said, gosh, you know, that makes all the sense in the world. Guess what I was thinking when you said that, right? At which point he could have said, oh my goodness gracious, I would have never have thought that it would have come across that way. Thank you so much. And then all of a sudden you have this beautiful, beautiful conversation, right? Indeed. So where else can we be doing that? today? 100%. And it's a topic that I actually discuss with the people I work with, the teams, the leaders on a daily basis, bringing in, I call it curiosity. You call it the inquiry. And to be curious, to ask some great questions, to also practice, put yourself into the other person's shoes and have some great questions to ask yourself. Where does this person may come from? What may be going on for them? What are their challenges at the moment? What are they seeing? What are they noticing? What are they hearing? So also practice empathy. And as you said very openly, it may not change anything. And it may confirm perhaps your initial assumptions. Who knows? But at least you give it a more open chance to change your picture and to build some very, very interesting relationships as well. So I'm I'm a massive supporter. Yeah. And, you know, I would say the only, the only trick there is it's probably going to be a while before both parties in any type of interaction like that are open and willing to having those more difficult conversations. So I do think it's going to be choppy for a little while, because as much as we'd all like to think we've been at this for a really long time in the world I'm running around in, the majority of humans have not even come close to having those types of conversations. It's not, you know, I don't have time for it. Yes. Go ahead. No, no, indeed. That is is the first excuse that you often receive, right? I don't have time for it. And I say that in a very, I don't know, very kind of judgmental way, actually, which I didn't mean it um, to say it in. Uh, However, it is something you hear quite frequently. I don't have time for those conversations. I have enough on the plate. And People who say that have all of my empathy because times have changed in particular during the pandemic. And we're going to talk about that in a moment too. Yeah, There is a lot happening, restructuring processes, removing resources, higher expectations and whatnot. However, the question here is also what is truly important? What will help you create a team that goes in the same direction? How can you put yourself into a space where you experience your own well-being and your success? 
how can you develop the organization and people in the organization with you and help them grow? There are so many questions and there are more that will hopefully help us build this new way of being where we say communication is actually the starting point is the key. Yeah. And you know, the time and money reservation, listen, I've been in sales for almost 20 years now. It's never about time and it's never about money. So, yeah. you know, when those reservations are coming up, the next question is, what is really the challenge, mm. you know? And I, I think the real challenge comes from those types of conversations. And this is just my personal assessment. I haven't done any massive survey or study to, to see if this is the case or not, but I, I think it's just, it's scary to people. People are afraid to hurt people. People are afraid to upset people. People are, are not, um, people are unpredictable, you know? And so when you haven't really cultivated the skill set to have those conversations, to say things like, I don't have the time, you know, is, is a nice buffer. It kind of protects you, but it's not really about the time because we make time for the things that matter and communication matters mm -hmm. in the workplace. It can be the predecessor to a complete and total breakdown of an entire team and any formal leader who has ever been part of a dynamic of a toxic team or any employee gets what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I'd also say there may be a fear of holding up the mirror, of seeing our own flaws, of hearing about them as well. I think that's that's something a lot of people are anxious about, are nervous about. Yeah. And the funniest thing is, it's like, we're already so hard on ourselves. We're constantly picking ourselves apart. This process is actually far more uplifting, holding that mirror in front of ourselves, because we step into a place of self-acceptance if we allow ourselves to. By having those conversations for understanding, it's very, it's a beautiful thing to walk away from a human interaction, knowing that you've been honorable and respectful towards yourself and them in that process, you know? So to your point, we don't want to look at our, our flaws and yet we're constantly picking ourselves apart. So it's kind of this, it's almost like the opposite of what we think is going to happen is going to happen by doing this kind of work. And now you work with women, but you also work with teams in organizations. And I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your observations in the leadership space as a result of the pandemic. What has changed and also what's required nowadays from leaders? Yeah, it's so it's a really interesting time. I don't know if you've heard the term great resignation. No, but it's something, yeah, I think it's maybe just, uh, it's happening in, in the U S so it's a term that has been recently coined in response to a lot of people leaving their jobs in the U S um, basically throughout the pandemic individuals recognized, and this is kind of one angle. Okay. So there's a few angles to it, but I'll just focus on this one for today. They've recognized they have access to more with their employment. And so individuals, top talent are leaving organizations with sometimes no jobs to go to. And, and companies are responding by changing benefits and comp packages, offering more paid time off, more vacation, just offering more flex time. One major sort of type of resistance that's happening is individuals have proven their abilities to work successfully from home. And now as organizations are calling employees back into the office setting, there is resistance to that. Individuals who have sort of finally just figured out how to make it work at home. And so where the leader is coming into play is in a lot of ways. First of all, they're, they're the middle human. They are being given organizational instruction to bring their teams back into work. Their teams are resisting that. 
And they themselves have just figured out how to prioritize that homework integration or yeah, that homework integration. And they're having to kind of pivot, change, put that back off to the side and dive back into the office setting while having the conversation. So I have leaders who are doing all sorts of different things. So I have leaders who are trying to come up with customized plans for the individual, which our conversations are about not burning out in those settings, you know, have essential conversations, be careful with the one-on-ones. You want the employee to feel heard, but you also don't want to be doing this with all of your employees at the expense of your own needs. So making sure that your own needs are being addressed, if you have any preferences or any asks throughout the transition. And then I have other leaders who are keeping it really simple. And they're saying, this is the instruction from the organization. This is where we are. This is what they want. And this is what we're going to do. And, you know, individuals are either on board with that or they're not. Mm-hmm. So it's a very challenging time for, for leadership yes. indeed. And those more traditional leaders who kind of see things as a little more black and white are definitely having a hard time right now. And I would add from a European perspective, the leaders who clearly recognize that something needed to happen very differently in this space of a pandemic where we work from home, where this remote working becomes the more normal, uh, the, the new normality. And they obviously notice that it's all about building some very deep connections Because A, you have an insight into the personal life of your team members if they allow you to do that and see it as an opportunity. But B, suddenly you also realize, oh my God, we got to know each other from a completely different angle. And that that actually helps us enhance the quality of the work we deliver and how we do that together. And actually, you use the word human very regularly. So do I. Actually, we now work together as human beings and not a senior leader and junior leader or whatever the titles are in an organization. And I find that approach and that new awareness beautiful to observe. And I'm not saying everyone is there yet, but I hear it more and more frequently that the question is more, how can we keep that alive and actually build on it when we return to an office space on top of the virtual working? It's so, so true. And such an important point to make. I mean, it's almost like organizations have been indirectly flattened out during the pandemic, right? Because all of a sudden everybody's calling from their home office or their, you know, in transition home office or their bedroom or, you know, and it just flattened things out so much because everything became so personal that it was kind of hard for there to exist that, that gap as much anymore. You know, you didn't have the lead in the corner window office, and then the employee like in the shared space cubicle anymore. Everybody's background looks the same, right? And it's such a powerful point. And, you know, I set the intention that that leads to more positive shifts in organizational structures that aren't supportive of creative creativity and innovation. And Uh, Erin, I would love to keep talking about the leaders in organizations and how you support them. However, there is another pillar of this conversation I would love to focus on, and that's you and your personal story. And I remember us talking about our, or started talking about our mistakes as leaders ourselves when we worked in organizations. So I'd love to, for you to share more about actually your journey to become this high quality and high supportive coach that you are now. 
Absolutely. You know, my, my personal journey definitely inspires the work I do today, which is a good thing because it means I'm in the right place. And, you know, I, my career started in the life sciences sector. I worked in the pharmaceutical sector and the medical device sector for the better part of 15 years as a sales professional and eventually a leader. And in that leadership role where I had a tremendous amount of responsibility, about 80 million in revenue, 200 direct and indirect reports, 46 countries, three businesses, all in the medical device sector is where things really started, challenges really started to surface for me. And I do believe that an effective leader is a leader who's made a lot of mistakes. So today I I consider myself to be a highly effective leader. And I also talk about leadership as being more of a process than a noun. So, So leadership being a process of social influence that takes place through communication. And at that time in my leadership role, you know, I made a ton of mistakes. I was transitioned uh, from a technical expert individual contributor role into a formal leader role without a ton of professional development support. So I do want to call attention to that, not to play a violin for my own story, but more to call organizations to really prioritize further transitioning the individual contributor technical expert into the formal leadership role. In particular, those who are coming from the sales and training side of an organization like I did, who were used to being you know, in the field, recognized for individual achievements, things like that. Because for me, it did not transfer very easily. Mm-hmm. And so when I stepped into that formal leadership role, I was still operating under the mentality that it was about what I was doing and it was my responsibility and it was my goal to achieve. So right away, I had a really hard time leveraging the strengths of my team, which included a lot of knowledge and experience that I didn't have. You know, I also, because I wasn't experiencing a level of self-observation and self-awareness to really connect with my emotions. And in fact, I, I really cut the emotion out of the equation. I was kind of learned that along the way, separate emotion from the problem. And, and the challenge for me, because I was doing that is I was less in tune to my team, which especially in the Latin America market can be a problem because it's a more, um, these are individuals that embrace their emotions and have high levels of emotional awareness. And so, you know, a United States citizen coming into that market without a high level of self-awareness yeah. and connection yeah. with self really proved to be, um, it created a lot of friction on the teams. So at this point of time, you know, you only notice something isn't quite working, Mm -hmm. but how did you then create the actual shift to suddenly in quotation marks, connect more with your emotions, for example, how did you notice Mm -hmm. that this was the actual challenge so, I mean, I was getting sick a lot. I was, you know, I was a, um, I'm an ultra marathoner, so I'm a runner. So even though I had the running, I, I wasn't eating very healthy. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. I was drinking alcohol excessively. So I was just, I just was exhibiting some, some behaviors that for me were pretty unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so it really started with my own personal recognition that I had access to more than that. I was 33 years old at the time. So I was quite young to be in the, well, not that it's really a matter of age, but I was pretty early in my career to be where I was as far as as the leadership role. And 
I was getting sick a lot. So I didn't think that was normal. So I started asking for help outside of work. And then eventually my life was transformed with meditation and Qigong and healthy eating and mindfulness practices so much so that I decided to leave the organization and I co-founded a healthcare startup and we offered online wellness platforms to physicians and individuals in the corporate sector. And we did that for about three and a half years. That was a beautiful entrepreneurial failure in the sense that we weren't scalable. IT was not a core competency of ours. And after self-funding it for about three, three and a half years, I realized I far more enjoyed the therapeutic aspects of my work than actually running a company. Mm -hmm. So I finally hopped off that corporate ladder, closed the doors on that business and started my coaching and consulting practice and made it my own personal journey and mission to empower leaders to show up as the best versions of themselves and be that mindful leader that really engages the team, builds trust on the team, leading to the greatest amount of productivity and engagement. And that's quite a journey. And you made some very bold decisions along the way as well. So I also want to express my huge level of respect here for you and for being bold and doing what you have done and changing what you have changed. I think it really requires determination and discipline and openness and so much more. So, yeah, I think it's amazing. Very inspirational. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I've had a lot of really amazing mentors along the way. I've had a lot of people help me out on my journey. And I, I try to offer that same support whenever I can to anybody who asks for it, especially anyone who's getting into the startup world. Although I don't have a business, I mean, my business today is a personal coaching and consulting practice. I got a PhD in startups when we had the EMC to no limits. So I'm always happy to do what's been done for me. Yeah. And how do you nowadays notice that you may be getting to your limits where your balance, whatever the balance for you looks and feels like between well-being and professional success, maybe a little bit, how can I say, may, may not be there really, or maybe jeopardized? Yeah. I mean, believe it or not, anyone who has not pursued an entrepreneurial pathway, it tends to be more hours and it tends to be harder to balance than a traditional workforce role. I wasn't really aware of that when I left the industry. And in fact, I was kind of at the time hoping for a little less hours, but I was, it was a harsh awakening for me to, to recognize that it was really hard for me to turn it off. So this has been an, a process of evolution over the last few years where I've had to set some pretty strict rules in place for myself as a business owner. So for example, I don't do anything on Saturdays ever. So Saturday is a total digital detox day for me. I'm not on social media. I'm not on email. I'm as far away from anything electronic as possible. And that's pretty much every single Saturday. And then things like I've become a lot more aware of when I'm getting to that point of maxing out, as I call it, as my step kiddos and husband understand it to be where I will start becoming more selfish. So For example, just last week, we drove several hours to a family reunion and it was myself, my husband and the three kiddos who are 10, eight and seven. And I said to my husband, I said, I'm going to drive by myself and I'm going to take the trip by myself so I can have some time in the car alone. So although it wasn't the most practical from a mileage and gas and both of us are driving perspective, it was extremely practical 
because it supported my sanity. And so I was able to make phone calls and listen to the music I wanted to listen to and then just be in silence. Mm -hmm. And so I'll often do these things. I will just carve out the time for myself as I need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My husband and I had these conversations and these expectations were managed pretty early on in our relationship. So I do think it it has made it easier for us to carve out the time for self-care, which he does as well. And um, it's not a surprise to him. It's not a surprise to me when we're both asking for time. And then I also have people in my support system, like my husband and other individuals who aren't afraid to say to me, is this something that you think you really have time for Mm -hmm. right now? And sometimes I need that reminder to, to be able to find chances to say no here and there. Loving it. Find chances to say no. So important. Thank you very, very much for this very honest conversation, some incredible insights, and for being so generous with all your knowledge that you have shared with us. Erin, before we let you go, please do share with us where we can find you. Absolutely. Well, Kathleen, I really appreciate the insight and the thoughtfulness of the conversation today. Thank you for having me. Uh, So erinjewelconsulting.com. This is pretty much where you will find all of the information about my blogs, guided meditations. You can also make time to speak with me. I offer free consults. If there's anything that you heard today that you're curious about learning more or any questions you have, or if you're exploring you know, other possibilities in the corporate sector and you're looking for some feedback, you can go ahead to the bookings tab and that's erinjewelconsulting.com. E-R-I-N-J-E-W-E-L-L, consulting, all one word. Brilliant. And we will obviously also publish all of the links in our show notes. So have a look and then please do connect with Aaron. Thank you so much again. Have a wonderful uh, remaining day and week. And to all of you out there, stay safe, stay healthy, look after yourselves. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.